All right, if you'll turn with me in your Bible to Jeremiah chapter number 18. Jeremiah chapter number 18. I was getting my car repaired one time. I was sitting up there at Mr. Mechanic. Some of y'all might know him, but he's a... I admire him because even though, you know, he's... You would say he's just a mechanic, you know. He has the mechanic shop. But he's, he's better than any mechanic I've really known. Because I've talked to mechanics before, and they said, well, we can try changing this and see if that fix it, or we can, you know, try this and see if that fix it. But uh, I'll say his name. But Doug, when I've talked to him before, he's, he's known what he was talking about. He uh, he loves working on cars. He had an engineering degree, but he chose to work on cars, you know. And when he talks about the cars, and I admire this as a technician, but he would begin to say, well, it's doing this, so, but when it gets up to here, it would change, or it's not doing this at this point, and it should be doing this, and the, it, it'll get up to this, and it should do this, but... I would, I would almost see these blocks above his head as he's talking to see, you know, if this, then that. I would almost see as he's talking, he's, he's figuring out what exactly is happening by the process of the engine. And I, I admire people like that, that that really enjoy their work, and I think that anybody does, a chef, anybody, uh, any chef that enjoys cooking, you know, the first chance they get to cook, they're always working to improve their recipes. One time I was up at Mr. Mechanic and I was sitting there next to a fella and he was showing me um, some carvings that he did. He said when he started out, the guy that he worked for, he kind of apprenticed for him, but the guy that he worked for, he said, I'll pay you this much per board. He said, but it's got to be right. And he said, if he was if he cut the wrong side of the line, he said, and the ones you get wrong, you got to pay for. <laughs> the boards you got to pay for. It was like $20 a board, which would be good money if you get them all right. Sometimes he would cut on the wrong side of the pencil mark. And, you know, that would be one out of him. But he learned. He learned to be a craftsman from that fella. And... uh he was, he was telling me if, there was a, if they were building a house and there was a gap, and I think some of y'all have maybe walked through some of these houses that are built. You know, they slap them up with nail guns and they get them up. But you'll see gaps. You'll see all that. Well, we'll fix it. You know, we'll fix it later or it won't show once the sheet rocks on. But he said the man that he worked with, he had to make sure there was no gap between the boards. And he, you know, everything was to an exacting standard. And he was showing me some work that he's done now that he's retired and he'd, he'd uh, done carpentry work and he had a hobby of carving birds. And when he carved these birds, it looked like real feathers. He was showing me pictures of them. And they, they were all in place. And I mean the time and craftsmanship that he spent. And I've, I've always just admired craftsmanship. And, you know, people can pick up the same piece of wood or people can can uh, have the same ingredients for a cake or something like that, but they don't come out with the same thing. It's all in the hands of the craftsman. Amen? And uh, when, a, when a child is born, we see, the, we see them, they're, 
It's like a, you'll have to forgive me for this because I know mothers, you don't see it like this. It's like a pile of wood with potential. I knew that was a bad one when it came to buy it, but I mean, there's so much potential in a child. You see a baby living, laying there in the crib. You know, you see a baby just born, and there's a whole life ahead of them. There's so much potential. You know, are they going to be present? Are they going to save somebody's life? Are they going to do this? Are they going to do that? You know, or are they going to mess up? We don't know, but there's just so much potential in there. And uh, as we look at this passage today over here in Jeremiah, you know, Israel... The Jews had so much potential when they started out, when they came out of Egypt, when God delivered them, when the waters were parted and all of that, going through the wilderness. And they became, they, they, that potential was realized, like under the kingdom of David. You saw, you saw Israel as a great nation, but then you saw it begin to fall apart. And we've reached a point where God sends the prophet Jeremiah to warn them about their mistakes and to try to, Point them back. He's not warning them to say, I'm going to destroy you, and that's it. But he, he's warning them to tell them, this is, this is what I'm trying to do for you. This is, this is what I'm trying to do. Um, that Israel had a lot of potential as a nation led by God. At times, they fulfilled it. Let's look at uh, verse number one here in chapter 18. We'll get into our passage. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And, he made, he, and the vessel that he made of the clay, and the vessel that he made of the clay was marred in the hand of the potter so he made it again another vessel that seemed good to the potter to make then the word of the lord came to me saying o house of israel cannot i do with you as this potter saith the lord behold as the clay is in the potter's hand so are ye in my hand o israel at what instant i shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck it up and to pull down and to destroy it If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at that instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. If it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. Now therefore go speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. Return ye now every one from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. So we're not going to focus so much on the Israel part. But I want to keep things in context. I like to do that. There's so many times I've heard a passage when I was sitting in church and didn't know what was being preached. But I was like, well, what about all this other But I just want to look at that illustration today because God sent Jeremiah into town. He said, go to the potter's house. Now, Jeremiah didn't know what he sent him for, but God said, there I will speak to you. Now, there's times that God wants to use you. He needs you to go and do something, and then he'll speak to you there. But that's the way it was in this case. So Jeremiah goes, and he sees the potter working. And I've, 
I've never gotten to see one firsthand, but you've seen them work the wheels. There's two wheels there. There's a larger one on the bottom that they move with their feet, in this case, at the potter's house. And there's the other one that's on top, and that wheel will spin. And the potter, he'll take that clay, and it's, it's a special clay because it's been sifted, and it's been soaked, and it's pliable, and it's soft. There's no hard spots in it. It's been set aside for use. And he puts that glob of clay on there, and there's just potential in that clay. It can be anything. It could be a, it could be a jar. It could be a pitcher for wine. It could be whatever the potter wants. But it's important to understand that it's what the potter wants, not what the vessel wants. Because when the vessel fights against the potter, and when, when things start to go lopsided, he'll spin that around and put his hands on it, and he'll kind of guide it up as it's going in a circle, and he keeps those hands wet and keeps it, keeps it nice and slick, and he brings it up and starts to stand it up. And then that thing might get a little off sides. And it just gets too much that he can't work with it the way it is. It's not going to be what he wants it to be. It may be trying to shape itself into something else, but it's the potter that decides what happens with it. And he takes his hand and he mushes it back down, and he guides it back up. And that's such a picture of our Christian life because God, there's, there's potential in every Christian. You know, there's potential in that child when they're born, but there's potential in that Christian. When you lead someone to Christ, is that going to be the next person that leads several other to Christ? Is that going to be a preacher one day? I've told you the story over and over again. I'll bring it up. I never forgot that, that my neighbor invited me to the football stadium at 11 years old. I'm so grateful that she did that because... I didn't have church in my life. I didn't have, I, I have family members that are Christians, but I, I never had that got drugged to church. I never had that drug. If I went to church, it was because I wanted to. I got taken. I got invited. I remember Granny Cow. She was my, at the nursery, nurse, uh, nursery where I went. She, she invited me to church with her. I didn't know about church before that. And I'm grateful for people like that. And when someone gets saved, when someone accepts Christ in their life, there's, there's a potential there for what's going to happen in their life. But then sometimes the clay just hardens up, just dries up to where it can't be moved, where it can't be maneuvered. But God is a master craftsman, and he knows what he's doing in your life. When I talk about Mastercraft, I wanted to bring this up. You know, the most expensive violin in the world was made around 1732. It's called the Messiah Stradivarius. With an estimated price of more than $20 million, the Messiah Stradivarius is the most expensive violin to ever exist. It was crafted in 1716 by Stradivari. A world-renowned maker of the best violins in the world, Stradivari created the Messiah during his golden period and stayed in his shop until his death in 1737. Violinists don't play with it as much, hence it's relatively new condition. It's so, it's so, they're held in so all they won't even play it. 
For more than two centuries, Antonio Stradivari remained the greatest violin maker of all time. Many Stradivarius violins sell for millions of dollars these days. By combining excellent materials and superb craft, the Luthier's violin design produced stringed instruments that have never been surpassed aesthetically and tonally. You know, they've studied it out to try to see what he did. In a career that spanned, let's see, Stradivari is thought to have made 1,116 instruments, of which 960 were violins, of which approximately 450 to 512 violins survived. In a career that spanned over seven decades, Stradivari, with the help of his two sons, Omobono and Francesco, produced almost 1,000 instruments, most of which still survive today. He identified a decent vocation at an early age, pursued it through with an all-absorbing commitment for decades, and was genuinely contented about it. His craftsmanship alluded to a man who was undeniably happy with what he did. His whole existence was bound up with the musical instrument, and Stradivari will be revered as long as classical music exists. And talk about a name in history. But, and that's the craftsmanship I'm talking about. Somebody that enjoys it so much. And we have God, who is the master craftsman. We have God who is immensely, immensely interested in our lives. He cares what happens to you. He, he can count the number of hairs on your head, but we fight against him. <laughs> We're clay on the table and we fight against him. Isaiah 64, 8 says, But now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, and thou art potter, and we all are the work of thine hand. So there's potential in the Christians. This potential is the potential of a life that responds. We ought to say, Lord, you're the potter, and I'm the clay. Mold me. Make me after thy will. Romans 6, 13 In uh, Jeremiah 18.6, God says, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter hand, potter's hand, so are ye in mine, O house of Israel. <laughs> Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ unto good works, which God hath before ordained before we should walk in them. So God being the craftsman, and when you... When you look at this illustration, God is the craftsman. He is the potter. You're the clay. Your life is to be shaped by him. And we, we see the wheels that the potter puts it on. You know what that is in here? That's the circumstances in your life. That's the thing that shapes you. It's always moving. It never stops. And it goes round and round. But God uses that in order to shape you. Look at uh, verse number four. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. There was something in the clay, maybe. You know, he, he purifies that clay. I'm told in that process, they'll go out, dig up the clay, they'll break up the ground. You know, and our hearts often have to be broken up in order to receive God's word. And it's put in that vessel. It's put in a concrete lined vessel, I'm told, and the water's poured over it and soaks it up. 
a picture of the Christian receiving the Holy Spirit. And that water is what makes you moldable and shapeable. The Holy Spirit convicts you in your heart when you sin. It helps you to smooth out the defects. It shows you what's really in you. It is the contact between you and God. And just as that clay has the water all around it, that's the Holy Spirit is our contact with God, is our, is our fellowship with the Lord. Today in Sunday school, we talked about the Spirit of God. We talked about spiritual worship. But sometimes there'll be something that gets in the clay. Maybe the clay goes wonky, or maybe sometimes there's a hard spot in there or an air bubble in there that just gets in the way. You know, and there's, sometimes there's things in our lives that are, we're holding back Sometimes we're just holding on to something and not giving up. You know, you say, well, I give you all of this, but I'm going to hold back. I'm going to read you an illustration that was given by Adrian Rogers. He says, one of the greatest Christian writers of the centuries is a man named F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer was a great man of God. And now he said, and this is Adrian talking. He says, and I read after F.B. Meyer and if you go to our libraries today, our library, church library or bookstore, you'll find the books by F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer as a pastor was very successful, but he was not as he ought to have been. He had two friends. One was named Charles Studd, and the other one's name was Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was a great missionary to China. Both of these great names in the history of the church, Charles Studd and Hudson Taylor, these two men seem to have victory day by day. They seem to have joy and power in their lives, and F.B. Meyer watched them. You ever been in someone's presence like that? It's like they've got it all together. They're following the Lord. They're there in prayer. They're there in Bible study. And man, they're living the victory in their lives. And you can see it in their lives. One day, F.B. Meyer went to Charles Studd and he said, Charlie, you seem to have a victory. You seem to have a joy. You seem to have something in your life that I don't have in my life. Tell me about it. And Studd said, there's nothing that I have that you can't have. F.B. Meyer said, well, how may I have it? And Stud said to him, have you given everything to God? And I asked the question for you. Have you given everything to God? Meyer pretended he didn't hear the question, but it sank deep into his heart. He went back to his room that night and he began to pray. Because, he said, in my heart, there has been something. The Holy Spirit will show you. What are you holding back? There had been something that, was, that I was wrestling with, something that I did not want to yield up to the Lord. It seemed like, to me like a small thing, but it was standing between me and victory, and I knew it, and I knew I had to do something about it. I wrestled with God that night until I finally came to the place where I had to do something, and I took the keys out of my pocket. He said, a bunch of keys. And I said, Lord, here it is. Here's the key ring. And this represents my life, Lord. I give it over to you. And he said, it seemed as if the Lord said to me, are all the keys here? He said, yes, Lord, they're all here except for one key, one small key. It is a key to a little cupboard, and that's not the, it's not on the ring. Lord, but it's an inconsequential thing. It's just one little key. I'm reminded of Lot when he came out of the city of Gomorrah and he looks out on the plains. They told him to go to the mountains and he looks over and he says, but there's a city over here. Lot loved the city life. He said, there's a city over here. Is it not a small one? It's just a little city. But he said, it's just a small key. It's an inconsequential thing. And he said, the Lord handed the keys back to me and started to walk out the door. 
Isn't that something? You, you, you've offered everything but the one thing. And you know, God doesn't force himself on you. He doesn't force himself into your life. I've heard people complain, oh, they're pushing your religion. No, letting you know about the offer. You can take it or you can leave it. You don't want to. You don't want to follow the Lord. He'll he'll walk on and he'll go to the next person. You don't want to do what the Lord's called you to do. He'll go on and somebody else will do it. Somebody else that'll be pliable. Somebody else that's willing to let go of that key. Somebody else is willing to let go of that thing that's holding them back. The Lord handed the keys back to me and started to walk out the door. I said, "Wait, Lord, don't go. It's just a little key." He kept walking. I said, please come back, Lord. Here are all the keys. He said, Lord, I don't even believe I can give it to you, but I'll hold it out. Please take them. I picture in my mind him just holding it out there. Just take it. I can't give it to you, Lord. I need you to take it. The man with his son that was plagued by demons, he said, I believe. Help me, thou mine unbelief. He said, please take them. And he said, the Lord took those keys, every one of them, and went into that little closet and began to do a work. And my life was transformed. He said, now I wonder, is there some little key like that in your life, some little cupboard, something you can say, Lord, you can be the Lord of all except this. And that vessel gets marred. That little air bubble stays in there. Maybe it's just a little rock. It's just a little thing. But the vessel that God's trying to make, he makes some to honor and some to dishonor, but the vessel that God is trying to make out of you can't form because that's messing up the whole thing. There comes a time God will mush you down. That wheel going around and he'll take that clay and the potter will mush it down and he'll begin to form it again. But he keeps coming across that same thing. Maybe it's a besetting sin in your life, but he keeps coming across that same thing and he mushes it down. And there comes a time when that clay hardens up. You know, it happens in the Christian's life. Your heart becomes hardened to the things of God. First it starts out, your prayers seem to not be getting past the ceiling. And then after a while, the things that you used to not, not even associate with just because you heard the title of it or just because you heard the name of it or just because you knew what it was associated with, after a while, that becomes a little more permissive to you. After a while, you say, well, that's not so bad. Then maybe there's some more in that clay that begins to harden up. Maybe there's just not as much water. Maybe you're just not praying. Maybe you're not bringing the Holy Spirit into your life. Maybe you're not being filled by the Spirit because you're quenching the Holy Spirit. And after time, that clay dries up, and there comes a time. Proverbs 29.1 says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. When you cross that deadline, when you say, I'll not yield to the potter, the clay gets hard. And then it's too late. When that happens, your spiritual sensibilities are dulled. Romans chapter 11, verse 8. God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear unto this day. Those that harden their heart against God. Over in uh, Romans chapter 1, I, I'm reminded of it over and over again. 
And this is in the lives of non-Christians, I believe. But over in Romans chapter 1, it says that they knew God because of the creation. They look around creation and they see God and they knew him. And it says, for the invisible things of him. I'm going to turn to it. Over in Romans chapter 1, verse number uh, 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And as you read further and further, you begin to see this decline in people's lives that get away from God or that don't want to know God, that deny God. Uh, verse 22, professing them, uh, because that which, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And you say, we don't carve idols and worship them today. There's people that carve all kinds of idols up in their heart. They set up all kinds of idols that they worship instead of God. It may be an ideology. It may be, it may be some cause. It may be to save the earth or whatever. But they turn their worship and their time towards something else. And they turn away from God. And then it goes on, verse number 24 of. Uh, Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own heart to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And as you read that, you see a lot of that going on today, but it just goes down and down and down until you get to uh, verse 8, 28 is what it is. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. There's a question, can a, can a Christian get turned over to that? Can you turn off your salvation? There's people that argue that you can. I don't think you can. I think what happens is you begin to turn away from God, turn away from God, turn away from God, and you just, you're so far away from him, you don't feel him. And the ones outside that learned about God, that somebody witnessed to them and they turned away from God, they saw it. There's people that have been convicted in a church service. They've sat there squeezing the pew. And they've known that they should go forward and accept Christ as their Savior because the Holy Spirit was working deep inside of them, and they turn away. They get away, and I tell you what, they get away, and that pressure will go off of them. And then they begin to go into other activities until they reach that point of God gives them over to a reprobate mind. But Christian, he doesn't want you to do that. He doesn't want you to just give up. Over in Jeremiah, God's, remember God's talking to Israel. He says, uh, verse number seven, at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. One of the assurances we have of God's forgiveness is when you 
read your Bible and you look and you see how God dealt with the nation of Israel. And God time and again gave them warning. Remember, you're the clay on the potter's wheel and God's forming you and he'll push you down and mush you and he'll try to remake you into the vessel that he wants. There may be something in your life that you're holding back and Israel was holding back. And God said he finally reached a point where he said he pronounced judgment on them. But one of the reassurances that we have is even at this point, when Jeremiah was talking to Israel, God said, you can repent, you can turn away from your sins, and I'll repent of the judgment. He says here, if that nation against whom I have pronounced evil, pronounced, turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. Now here's a promise. Now Israel, sometimes they repented, sometimes they didn't, but eventually God got through dealing with them. Verse number nine, and at what instance I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant, if it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good, where would I said I would benefit them. And there's his promise on the blessings. He said, if I, if I give you blessings, but you don't repent, he said, I'll pull the blessings back. I talked about this in Sunday school, but I've I didn't promise I wouldn't bring it up again. In verse number 11, Now therefore go to speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. Return you now, everyone, from his evil way, and make your ways and your doings good. And in verse number 12, and I think this is interesting because this is a point a Christian can reach. This is a point, you, you've been beat up. You, you've gotten caught up in sin or something like that. You know someone that's got caught up in sin. And time and again, they've tried to do right. And time and again, they've tried to follow the Lord. But there comes a point where you can just give up. And I think this was the point Israel was at where they were just giving up. And God tells them, he says, verse number 12, And they said, There is no hope, but we will walk after our own devices, and we will everyone do the imagination of his evil heart. There comes a point in some people's lives where they say, I can't live it, I can't do it, I give up. I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, and how I want to do it. I'm going to follow my heart. And we know how evil the heart is. For verse, uh, verse 17, chapter 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Verse 13, therefore thus saith the Lord, ask ye now among the heathen who have heard such things, the virgin of Israel had done a very horrible thing. And in verse 14, he says, will a man leave the snow of Lebanon, which cometh from the rock of the field, or shall the cold flowing waters that come from another place be forsaken? I was reading this one morning, and just like the Lord showed me, somebody may prove me wrong on it, but I said, verse 14, it's foolish to leave the source. When you, when you leave the sources, when you give up, when you leave the wall of living waters that Christ offers, when you quit turning to your Bible, when you quit turning to prayer, then you become a lump of clay that's drying up. Then you're becoming a lump of clay that God can't use. But as long as you're willing to repent, as long as you're willing to turn to the Lord, he can work with that clay on that wheel. And then for verse 15, I said, but they did. 
Verse 15, because my people have forgotten me, they have burned incense to vanity, and they have caused them to stumble in their way from the ancient past, to walk in paths in a way not cast up. So what's the purpose? God does have a plan for your life. He does want to make you a vessel unto honor. Maybe even dishonor, but he has a purpose for your life. And as those circumstances, a will turns, God forms you. Romans 8.29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now people get caught up and they say, Well, God wants to make something out of you. God wants to make you rich. God doesn't want you poor. No, God wants you conformed to the image of his Son, Jesus Christ. And he did that by sending his Son to die on the cross so that we could have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What kind of clay are you? We saw this morning that God can use you right where you are. It may be in prayer. It may be in a word said. He's got to let God show you. Let God shape you. So many times people get saved and they say, well, you know, I used to do this. We can mix this in with the church. No, he wants you to be that clay on the wheel. Not telling the potter what to do, but letting the potter shape you. All right, as she plays.